Good to be here again this evening. I want to thank you very much for the Christmas basket y'all sent us, or the banana and the blanket that it was in, and the basket and the fruit and the candies. You know, I didn't need the candy, but I ate a little of it. <laughs> well, we appreciate that very much. I appreciate more than anything else. Appreciate your thoughts about us uh, around Christmas time. You know, as we noticed this morning. God created the heavens and the earth. He separated the light from the darkness and caused the land to arise above the waters and said it is good. He created the grass and the herbs and the trees upon the earth. He said it is good. He created, set the stars and the sun and the moon and the heavens and again said it is good. He created the fowls, that's the birds that fly through the air and the fish that swim through the sea. And again he said it is good created the animals that roam upon the earth and all the creeping things. Again, God said it is good. Then God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul, Genesis 2 and verse 7. Then verse 18, he said it is not good that man should live alone. So he said, I'll make it help meet for man. Took a rib from the man and made the woman, presented her unto the man. Then the Bible says God looked on all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God is happy about marriage. And we covered that this morning. We covered the purposes of marriage this morning, at least the five that were in my mind. <clears throat> this evening, we'd like to begin with the responsibilities of marriage. You know, when you get married, you, uh, you automatically have some responsibilities. Tanner read in your presence, Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. So the woman, the wife, is to submit herself to her husband. And uh, again, like I said, that, that's not a command to the husband to bring his wife under subjection. You know, in this society we live in, very few husbands could do that anyway. Now, a lot of foreign countries know that uh, things are different, culture is different, economy and all is different. A woman without a husband can be in a very bad condition. But here, <clears throat> she, can find, she can find help from the state, from the federal government. She can go to college, get an education, get a job. She can make a living. And also, if a man tries to bring his wife under subjection, she might not like that, and she could do something about it. Not that she should, but she certainly could in our country. So the command is to the woman to willingly submit herself to the man that she's marrying. Now you ladies, you young girls, you think about that before you get married. You give some serious thought about that. Because that man you're marrying, you're supposed to be subject to. You know the first marriage I ever preached in my life, I would not preach it again if I was asked to do so. Why? It lasted about two years. And I knew, well, I didn't know for sure how long it was going to last, but it was not a good setup. You know, I put this marriage ceremonies together. Like I said, it's the first marriage I'd ever preached. And I never preached one before, so of course if it was the first marriage, I never preached one before. But nonetheless, I worked it all out. Had it all written out. And I read it to the bride before the wedding. She said, me obey him? I should have balked, balked right there is what I should have done. You know what the situation was? He couldn't leave home without his mama combing his hair. 
Now he's 26 years old. And I'm not against a mother combing her son's hair. The way some boys take care of their hair, mama needs to run a comb through their hair maybe. But he was a kind that was dependent on mom for everything. 26 years old, fixing to get married. He had no backbone. He had no determination of himself. And uh, she knew that before she married him. And she didn't intend to obey him. Well, I took the obey out of the ceremony, but I put it in in other ways about six or seven times in there, in different ways. It was basically the same thing, you know. And like I said, I wouldn't do that again. You're, the wife is supposed to be subject unto the husband. He did not need, uh, intend there to be a battle in the home over who says what's going to happen when and where. And that's not saying that a man has to make every decision is made. He's a... If he marries a good wife, he can certainly delegate a lot of that responsibility to his wife. As a matter of fact, sometimes to the extent that she can take care of herself right well without him, you know. But the wife is to willingly submit herself to her husband as the church is subject unto Christ. The church is supposed to be subject unto Christ. It's supposed to be the Lord's church. And he's to be the head of the church. So we should obey him, and that's probably the basic thought that he's getting to in here. But he uses marriage and the marriage relationships as an example, as an illustration of how the church is to be subject unto, unto Christ. The Bible then uh, also says that you should love your husbands. T uh, Titus 2 and verse 4. The older women should teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, why in the world does a woman need to be taught to love her husband? Even a greater question, why should she have to be taught to love her children? Well, the word love here probably includes more than just the feeling in your heart. The feeling ought to be there. You ought to love your husband. He ought to be special to you. He ought to be someone that just makes your heart sing, you know. Good songs, of course, you know. He ought to be, he ought to be that kind of a husband, you know. And you ought to love him with all your heart. But that love ought to be shown. And so it tells the older women to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. And how to love their children. It's more than just a feeling in the heart, but it's the way you treat them, the way you behave towards them. And uh, it's something, as a result, young ladies, it's something that is a learning process. It's a learning process. I know when you marry that boy, you think he hung the moon, you know. You think he controls the setting of the sun and the tides that move upon the seas. But you're going to find out that he's not. And that uh, he's got his shortcomings and all. And you're supposed to love that husband. Another thing, the Bible says she's to be a keeper at home in Titus 2, verses 4 and 5. The woman is to be a keeper at home. Does that mean she's supposed to stay at home? There are some interpret this to, to mean that a woman should not work in a full-time job. That's not in that verse. That's not in that verse. It says, well, she's supposed to keep at the house. And they interpret that she's not to work in a full-time job, but she can go to the grocery store. She can help him farm or whatever else, you know. Or she can, she can run around and take care of the needy and all, which probably she should do. That's not what it's talking about. The word home and house are both found in the Bible. Someone says, well, a house is a building you live in, the home is a family. Not in the Bible, that's a lot of malarkey. 
home and house translated from the exact same Greek word. Exactly. You have to read the context to see if he's talking about a literal house or he's talking about, uh, you know, talking about the family that, that lives and dwells in that house. For instance, when Jesus went into the house of uh, Mary and Martha and uh, Lazarus, that was a physical house he went into. But when the Philippian jailer was baptized in his house, he's talking about his family, you see. So you have to read the context to determine whether it's talking about a literal house or talking about, about the family. Now here the word keeper means a guard. She's to be a keeper at home. She's to be a guardian of the home. The Philippian jailer, he was a keeper of the prison. Acts chapter 16. Keep your heart with all diligence. That means to guard, protect, and take care of it. And the woman is to be a guardian at home. Now, if she can't do that and work a full-time job, then quit the job, you know. But if she can, well, go, go ahead, whatever, you know. But he's not saying that a woman cannot work at a full-time job that she has to keep at the house. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about the woman's responsibility to be a guardian of the home. And you ladies realize that and understand that. Your husband has his job, he has his work. You stop and think about the home, the needs of the home. Of course, you ought to discuss those together with your husband and all. But it's very important for a woman to be a keeper of the home. Also, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 5, verse 14, I will that the young, younger women marry, bear, the house, bear children, guide the house. So a woman is to guide the house. And again, she's talking about the home as well as a physical dwelling, I think, in this situation here. She's to guide the house. The word guide comes from the word tyrant. A woman's supposed to be a tyrant of the home. Well, <laughs> language has changed through the years. There's a family whose the family name was tyrant. They were very cruel and very bad rulers, and hence the word tyrant in our language today uh, has come down to mean someone really cruel and all. But the word tyrant really means rule. She is to rule, she is to guide the house. Some husbands won't let the wife guide the house because they've got an ego deal tied up, pride tied up, and being the head of the wife. Men, are you that way? Shame on you. Woman's supposed to guide the house. She's supposed to keep the home. So you should allow her to do so. And ladies, you should do that. You have a responsibility. When you become married, you have a home then. And children come along, you still have a home. You have the responsibilities to be a keeper of that home. Responsibility to guide that home. And to love that home. Love your husband and to love your children. Interesting verse, Matthew 25, 24. Ladies, Listen to what this says. Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a, with a brawling woman in a broad house, in a wide house. Are you a nagger? Don't be a nagger, ladies. Help your husband, advise him this and that, but don't be a nagger. You know, the Bible says better live off, man, better off to live in the corner of a housetop. You're thinking about having to live, you know, up in an attic in a corner. You're better off than that. No, they didn't have attics. They had flat roofs. He said a man would be better off to live in a corner of the, top, of the roof up there by himself, you know, than in a, in a fancy house with a brawling woman, a nagging type woman.
Don't be a nagger. If you're a nagger, go to work on that and change it. There are two men whose wives are famous in history for being naggers. One was Abraham Lincoln's wife. He spent a lot of time away from the White House because of his wife. Now she had, I'm sure she had problems, and I'm not to judge of all that. Another guy, was it Aristotle? One of those guys back about 500 years before Christ. One of those philosophers, well-known in history, committed suicide because his wife was a, such, a, such an agger. Don't be that way. The Bible says it's better to dwell in the wilderness than a broad, in a broad house with an angry woman, you know, angry wife. When I, when I was young, before we got married, back when I was dating, you know, me and uh, Vernon's brother, Clyde Woody, we ran around together a lot. My brother Kenneth with us, Noah. And if we was having trouble with our girl, when we'd say, to the wilderness! <laughs> to the wilderness! Of course, we were young boys, just carrying on. We knew what the Bible taught there. And that usually probably is more our fault than it was the girls we were going with, if the truth were known in that situation. But uh, you want your home to be as pleasant as you can. A woman will come close, close to setting the tone at home than the man will. Of course, a man can affect that too. So see that you set the home... See that you set the home in a good way. You know, the Bible says in the first Peter chapter 3 that a woman should adorn herself in modest apparel, and he goes ahead to explain uh, that she should be subject to her husband, obedient to her husband, and all like that, you know, that the woman should be that way in the home <clears throat> and compares it to physical adornment. You ladies don't... Yeah, you all look pretty nice, all you ladies. <laughs> Did you look in the mirror before you left home? Adorn yourself? You know, put your lipstick on or whatever and your powder or whatever and all that kind of stuff and fix your hair so-so. That, that's good, that's good. We, we guys like our wives to look nice and pleasant, you know, not like they're half dead, you know, when they come down to deal with the house. <laughs> but it's important that you take a look into the mirror of your soul and see what kind of a attitude you got that morning. You may need to, you may need to repair your attitude. You may need to brush up on your on your cheerfulness and things of that nature before you go out and to deal with a home. Before you go out to deal with people in the public and all, take a look at yourself, the kind of a person you are, and your attitude, and your appearance and all. That's important. That's very important, and it's, that is important in the home. Husbands. We've talked about the wives' responsibility. We haven't covered it all. You know we haven't. <laughs> we'll talk about the husbands some now. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a lot of love. You know, and the word love here means more than just the way you feel in your heart, but the feeling ought to be there in your heart to motivate your actions, your actions of love and all. Husband is to love his wife. One fellow told me one time, Jeff, you married the old woman I am, and you'd understand things differently. Well, what kind of people do you think Christ died for? What kind of people do you think Christ gave his life for? Jesus didn't give his life because of our righteousness. Not mine and not yours. He gave his life, shed his blood for our sins. 
husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave, gave himself for it. You should love your wife in spite of the fact she might not be perfect. Only two perfect women I ever met my wife and my mother-in-law. They were good women. I'm just, I'm just trying to kind of break up the seriousness a little bit here, you know. But you're to love your wife, and especially if she's going to submit herself to you as being her head, she needs to know that you love her and care for her like Christ did the church, that you'd even give your life for her. Fuss all day with her, yet you claim you give your life for her. What kind of a deal is that? Husband is to love his wife, and that is to be demonstrated. Ephesians 5.29 says you should nourish your wife. That means to build up. You should nourish and cherish your wife. Nourish means to build up. Help her become a better person. Help her become a better Christian. You can help each other in these areas. But the husband has a responsibility to nourish his wife and to cherish. The word cherish means to hold dear, show affection, and appreciate. Don't be afraid to show your wife, demonstrate to your wife, tell your wife that you love her. One lady one time complained, said, my husband never tells me he loves me. He said, well, when we got married, I told you I loved you. If I ever changed my mind, I'd let you know, you know. Well, listen, the wives need to know that you love them. I know the Bible doesn't say, husband, speak that to your wife, tell her you love her. But that's important for her to know that you love her. Then when she's subject to her, she'll feel safe and secure. She knows you won't take advantage of that. Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them. Bitter is when you really get upset and the upset stays a while. Husband's told not to treat his wife that way. Some say, well, a wife shouldn't treat a husband that way. Well, that's true. You oughtn't to treat anybody that way. But the, the command is especially to the husband. Because it, evidently, husbands have more of a tendency to be bitter and get upset and hang on to it than women do. Don't treat your wife that way. That's not right. That's not right for her to have to live in an atmosphere where you have bitterness towards her. So husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. First Timothy 5 verse 8, He that provideth not for his own, especially they of his own household, has denied the faith and worse than an infidel. You're supposed to bring the bacon home. You're supposed to make a living for your family. Maybe not all the luxuries of life, but a living. Maybe not all the necessities of life, but the necessities of life. And especially if she's going to be submissive to you and if she decides to stay at home to be a stay-at-home wife, now, I think that's usually better if you can. But if she's going to be that way, she needs to know you're going to make her a living. So, well, a fellow told me one time, said, well, I'm having a hard time finding the kind of a job that I have the ability to take care of. Well, find the kind of a job you feel like you don't have the ability to take care of. He felt like that he ought to have a job where he was supervisor or something like that, some important individual in the job. You know, if you can't find that kind of job, get any kind of a job. You're supposed to provide for the needs of your wife. Now it says, he that provides not for his own, especially they of his own household. His own and his own household. What's the difference? His own household is his wife, his children that are right in his house. His own, if you read the context. He's talking about man taking care of his widows, aunts, grandmothers. In other words, the needy in the family. You have a responsibility not only to provide for your immediate family, for other relatives that have needs. 
If you have a relative that has a financial need of some kind, you do what you can to take care of it first before you bring it to the church. Now, the church will help in situations like that. Usually, the church is really good. Raising money for financial needs for individuals and all is an easy thing to do in the church. But the first responsibility, if you read it, lies with, with the man in the family. He has a responsibility to provide for his own, that's his relatives and family, and especially of his own household, his immediate home. And to do this, you see, need to have some means of providing for them. So, have we covered that pretty well? Well, I know there's more responsibilities the husband has than that. You can probably think of some more. But those are the ones we want to cover. Someone says, in, well, in marriage, what when trouble comes? What when trouble comes? Well, I want to read to you from the book of Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament before you get, before you get to the uh, book of Matthew in the New Testament. Malachi 2, we're going to begin with about verse 14. And this is God speaking to Israel back, uh, back in Old Testament times. Yet you say, wherefore? Because the Lord has been witness between thee and thy wife, the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? That means the two became one. Yet had he made a residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a goodly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away, that's divorce, for one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. The Lord hateth putting away. The Lord does not like divorce. The Lord did not create the home that in case it doesn't work out so, so, so for the home to split up. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't give scriptural grounds for divorce. It certainly does. And for remarriage. In, first, in Matthew chapter 19, whosoever puts away his wife, except for the cause of fornication, and marries another, committeth adultery. Now, he did not say whosoever puts away his wife, even for the cause of fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. He didn't say that. He gave an exception. The, the question was asked in the beginning of that chapter, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Under the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24, if a man hated his wife, if he found no pleasure in her, he could give her a bill of divorcement. She'd go, go be another man's wife. In Deuteronomy 22, if a man married a girl and found out she was not a virgin, then he could bring that before the elders of the church and put her away. Of course, the way they put her away, they stoned her to death. That's what they did back, back in those days. Now, so the, that kind of opens the door. If a man hates his wife, finds anything that doesn't please him in his wife, he can put her away. Well, no wonder the apostles asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife forever? Because He says, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered it to be so. What? Because of what? The hardness of your heart. Divorce many times is brought about because of hardness of heart. The husband or the wife, or maybe both, become hard-hearted towards one another and they don't work things out. Sometimes you can't work things out. I know and I understand that the Lord understands that too. And he certainly gives grounds for, scriptural grounds for divorce and remarriage. And even then, there is forgiveness for sin of any kind. But we won't get into detail about that. 
But the thing we want to emphasize is try to hold that home together. A lady called me one time on telephone. Oh, Jerry, I just can't take it anymore. Just can't take it anymore. I said, what's he done? Well, he just won't get out and get a job and says, we can't pay our bills. I'm doing everything I can to raise whatever money I can. He just said, it couldn't be any worse. Well, I encouraged her to try to hold the home together, but she went ahead and divorced him. A few months later, she called me on the phone and says, things worse than they ever were. She was in a bar. She was lonely and everything like that. She thought perhaps when she got rid of him, life would just turn into a bed of roses. Guess what? She got rid of him. She still had herself. That was part of the problem in her home. It wasn't all of it. Her husband ought to have got out and worked and provided for the family. We've covered that already. But you know, do your best to hold your home together and to work things out. Even if the Lord makes allowances. Even if your husband is unfaithful or your wife is unfaithful and you've got scriptural grounds for divorce and remarriage, you, even then sometimes it's better off if you can work things out. You can't always. Sometimes you can. I've been called into marital problems, you know, and I, I don't like that. Just like church splits and all, I don't like to be called into them. I've been called into four or five throughout the years and all. But there's such heartache, such so many people that are hurt, children that are hurt, children confused, don't know what's going on, you know. You don't understand and all. And many times when a home breaks up, as a matter of fact, uh, according to, According to the studies, if you can depend on them, children usually think they're the fault that mom and daddy broke up. Listen, a home is a very important thing. Do your best to hold it together. Sometimes when couples get upset with one another, can't see anything straight. You know, if she does something good, he said, well, you don't know her. She does something bad, well, see what I'm telling you? And they just, and the same way with church splits, you know. When, when they get, the church gets ups, upset with each other in the congregation, they don't see anything straight. You know, if you get drunk on alcohol, you can't see things straight. You can be drunk on other things that keep you from seeing straight. Hatred, jealousy, things of that nature, suspicion and all. They can, they can tear a home up. They can tear your lives up. Uh, a fellow one time, he and his wife was having problems. And... Uh, she didn't like the way he did things, and she, he didn't care much about the way she did things. He thought, you know, something simply like putting a lid back on the toothpaste. I could do that. You know, he was one of those that when he got through with the soap, it laid there. Dried off of the towel, it laid there. You know, took the lid off the toothpaste, it laid there. Got through with the toothbrush, and it laid there, you know, and that kind of stuff. So he started putting the lid back on the toothpaste. He said, that's a simple little thing I can do. Maybe that'll help some. You know, after a few weeks, he asked his wife, said, have you noticed anything different about the toothpaste? Yeah, you quit brushing your teeth. <laughs> well, <laughs> the lid was always on. You see, she had her mind set. Now, I know that may be humorous, but that's a problem when couples get cross. They don't see anything straight. They, they quit making allowances for each other. You got to make allowances for each other. Like I said, nobody's perfect. Everybody's got their shortcomings. And don't focus on those shortcomings. Make allowance for it. First Timothy chapter 6, he lists a number of things that are bad. And one, he said, evil surmisings. 
Now, what in the world is evil surmising? Surmising is when you're thinking, you're guessing, you don't know, you just suppose this or that. And if evil surmisings are bad, it's pictured as one of those things. If you're around people that are always full of evil surmisings, withdraw from them. That doesn't mean get up and have a big church in this fellowship. It simply means get away from those kind of people. You don't need to hang around those kind of people that are always surmising evil things. But a husband and wife get cross with one another. There's all kinds of evil surmising, supposings that get involved in it because they quit making allowances for one another. Some major problems in marriage has to do with the intimate relationship in the bedroom. And again, we're not going to read 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5, but you read them sometimes because they're self-explanatory there. And there's supposed to be a mutual uh, consent on both parts and what takes place there. Now, another problem in marriage when trouble comes is pride. People have too much pride. You know, before I got married, my mom gave me one word of advice. Now listen, the, the 25 years before, she'd given me a lot of advice, a lot of teaching. I mean, in a good way, you know. But she spent the week before we got married with me. They lived in Gainesville, Texas. She came up to Oklahoma City. And I had a sister and her husband lived there and she stayed with them and she just went with me everywhere, you know. And one piece of advice she gave me, she said, Jerry, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about marriage, but never get to where you can't say, I'm sorry. Even if you feel like none of it's your fault, probably some of it is. Never get to where you can't say, I'm sorry. And if you've got too much pride, it'll be a hard thing for you to do to say, I'm sorry. You need to learn to say, I'm sorry, in whatever way you say it, and however you behave and act. Don't let pride get in the way. The Bible said in Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goeth before a fall, and pride can go, go before the fall of a home sometimes. Uh, probably the best way is to, if you've got problems in homes, change your way of thinking. You know, uh, Ephesians 5, 25, wives love your husband. Husbands love your wives and love your children. Titus 2 and verse 4, change the way you think. In the time when he's not around, don't go around the house. Go around your job, drive to the grocery store, wherever else with these aggravated thoughts in your mind all the time about him. And likewise, you husbands, the same way. You're about your job, you're about your work, whatever you're doing, don't keep those aggravated thoughts running through your mind. Replace them with good thoughts. Think about the good qualities he has, the good characteristics she has. Think about those things and how sweet they are. And it'll change your disposition. It'll change your, it'll change your home, the way you think about one another. When you get cross with one another, you really need to go, really need to put a lot of work and effort on the way you think about one another. A fellow wanted to get divorced his wife. Went to a lawyer says, I want to divorce my wife. And he says, I want to make it the hardest divorce we can. She's hurt me so much for so many years. I just can't take it anymore, and I want to get even with her, and I want to make this divorce as hard as, I po as we possibly can. The Lord said, I'll tell you what to do. You're not ready for divorce yet. He said, you go home, you throw all the sweetness and the kindness and affection and everything like that that you possibly can towards her. And then you hit her with divorce. You talk about rocking her. Man, that'll shake her up. 
You saw the man three, four months later says, Hannah, it's about time to get the divorce started. Oh, I wouldn't divorce her now for nothing. It's amazing how she's changed. And there's more truth and humor in that. You change your way of dealing with him, and it'll probably affect the way he deals with you. You change uh, your way of dealing with her and thinking about her, it'll probably affect the way that she feels too. Women are in need of, of love, the love that's felt and the love that's shown, and that's true with a wife, and that's true with the husbands too, whether they want to admit it or not. Husband needs the love of his wife, needs to know that she cares about him. Uh, you know, when I was young, in the late 1950s, some of y'all may remember this. Vernon, maybe. I don't know. Gordon, maybe remember this. There was a song Roger Miller had called it a Mutual Admiration Society. Do you remember that song? Y'all aren't that old, man, but do you remember that song, Mutual Admiration Society? He's talking about marriage. That's what he's talking about. Ephesians 5.33, wife, she see that she reverence her husband. 1 Peter 5, verse, at verse 7, Husbands, give honor unto your wife. The husband should honor his wife and treat her as a great, wonderful thing in his home. And the wife should re reverence her husband. That doesn't mean call him reverend necessarily, but she should treat him with respect because he's the head of, head of your home and all. He's the one that married you, that gave his life with you and for you and all. Ought, ought to be a mutual admiration society. And uh, all of these things we're talking about, you know as well as I do, that it's not a one-time fix. It's a matter of continually working on these aspects of your marriage. I'll tell you, there's not hardly anything on earth better than a good marriage. And there's nothing much worth, worse on earth than a bad one. Make your marriage a good marriage. Now, the things that I've talked about, you all, nearly ever all of you know. Maybe a few of you here that's new to you. These scriptures might be, but most of you have heard these things and you know these things. So I hope that doesn't bother you that I repeat it. My wife and Brandon and his girlfriend Madison heard this sermon about two weeks ago. I crammed both, both of the sermons into one about two weeks ago at Lindsay. You know, Peter said in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, he says, uh, I'll not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you know them and are established in them. He said, I think it necessary that I stir up your minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the things spoken before. And then he says, even though you know these things and are established in them. So never, never resent hearing what you've heard before. Uh, your spiritual life might be in danger if you've always got to hear something different and something new. The gospel is the same as it's been for 2,000 years. The church should be the same as it's been for 2,000 years. And the home, the marriage, should be the same that it's been for 2,000 years. So Peter went even a step further. He said, not only am I going to remind you these things as long as I'm alive here, even though you know them and establish them, I'm going to fix it after my decease. You'll have these things always in remembrance. How are you going to do that? Chapter 3 of Second Peter. He says, This second epistle, beloved, I write unto you in both, which I stir up your minds by way of remembrance. So we hear 2,000 years later, we've still got Peter reminding you and I of the teachings of the Lord when it comes to the home and the church 
and our relationship with one another. The lesson is yours this evening. If you're this, here this evening, you'd like to be baptized into Christ, or maybe you desire the prayers of the church, we'd be glad to assist you in any way. Will you come home? We stand and sing. <laughs>